So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, you guys. Happy Wednesday. I hope you guys are having a great day. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. So as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about the unsolved disappearance of Amy Rowe Betchel. Amy was 24 years old when she disappeared from Wyoming in the summer of 1997. This is a really interesting case where we will be left with more questions than answers at the end of it, so I'm super interested to hear your theories on it all. You can send in your theories, thoughts, comments, suggestions, any of the above to either the Killer Instinct Podcast Instagram, which is just at Killer Instinct Podcast, or you can send them in to our podcast email, which is just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Amy Joy Rowe was born on August 4th, 1972 in Santa Barbara, California to her parents, Dwayne and Joanne Rowe. Now, Amy was described as being very intelligent. She was extremely family-oriented. She was beautiful. And she was also described as someone who was very shy, yet also very trusting. After she graduated high school, Amy went on to attend the University of Wyoming, which is where she ended up meeting her husband, who is a man named Steve Betchel. Steve was a very competitive long-distance runner, and he ran all throughout college and him and Amy became a very fitness-oriented couple. They loved going on nature adventures together. They both loved running, and Stephen in particular loved rock climbing. That was his thing. He absolutely loved it. After they both graduated college, which by the way, they both received their degrees in exercise physiology, the two of them ended up moving to Lander, Wyoming in July of 1997. At the time, Lander had a population of about 7,000 people. And Lander seemed to be the perfect fit for both Steve and Amy because it allowed them to be around nature, which they considered a perfect training ground. And in 1997, Lander was really at the brink of becoming an elite climbing town. And within this climbing town, Amy was a star runner. Like I said, she ran all through college and all through high school. She ranked first in school history in the indoor 3,000 meter and second in the indoor 5,000. And she was also training to hopefully be a part of the year 2000 Olympic marathon trials. Her and Steve both worked part-time at a local climbing shop. And along with that, Amy waited tables at a restaurant called the Sweetwater Grill, and on top of that, she also was an instructor at a youth fitness class. So with Amy having three jobs, Steve having one, and also being an avid rock climber, Amy training for the Olympic trials, they both kept themselves very busy throughout their day-to-day lives. 
So with that being said, let's move to July 24th, 1997. And at this point, Amy and Steve had been married for about a year and a month. And on July 24th, 1997, Steve ended up leaving his and Amy's home at about 9.30 a.m. that morning because he was scheduled to go rock climbing with a friend of his. This friend was named Sam Leitner Jr. And Steve was going with Sam to go rock climbing while Amy was staying back at home to teach a fitness class. Steve was said to be going rock climbing with Sam at Jackson, Wyoming, which is about 80 miles away from Lander. So he was going to be gone for a good majority of the day on July 24th. Sam and Steve were really close. They had a very close friendship. They had traveled to a lot of different places together, including Asia and Australia. Australia. They rock climbed all through Asia together, so they were very comfortable and familiar with each other and trusted each other when going rock climbing. Now, Amy's fitness class wasn't the only thing that she had scheduled going on that day. Amy told Steve that she had a lot of other errands that she had to get through that day after her class, after her class had ended at about 2.30 p.m. This included calling the phone company, she had to go get the gas turned on for their house, and she also had to purchase home insurance for the new house that they just moved into. According to Steve, he said that Amy told him that once she completed all of her errands for the day, her plan was to then go for a jog in the Shoshan National Forest. Now, this national forest covers nearly 2,500,000 acres. So this is absolutely huge. So let's talk about Amy's day once Steve left for rock climbing. Amy did attend her fitness class and instructed that as usual. And then after that, a little bit after 2.30 p.m., Amy took a visit to Gallery 331, which was a photo store. And she was going there to get several photos framed. And the man who worked there is a man named Greg Wagner. And according to Greg Wagner, he said that he remembers seeing Amy that day. She came in to talk to him about her photo. And what Greg says is that he remembers Amy seemingly being in a rush. She continuously was checking her watch throughout the entirety of the time that she was at the store. And once Amy finished developing her pictures, she left Gallery 331. But little did anyone know that that would be the last time Amy would ever be seen. So Steve ended up coming home from his rock climbing excursion that day at about 4.30 p.m. And when he got home, Amy was not there. At first, Steve did not have any concerns over the fact that Amy wasn't there. He knew that she had a very busy day ahead of her. He knew that she was going to be out jogging, and he thought that she would definitely come home sometime later that night. However, after a couple hours passed, and it was now about 8.30 p.m., Steve ended up walking over to his neighbor's house, and these neighbors are the Skinners. They are Todd and Amy Skinners. Now, when he arrived to his neighbor's house, he told them that Amy hadn't come home that night yet. However, he didn't seem too concerned by it. He figured that she would be home later, maybe something came up, but he did say that she wasn't answering her cell phone and he couldn't get a hold of her. After visiting the Skinners, Steve then went back home and decided to call Amy's parents. Amy's parents lived in northern Wyoming and he thought it was a good chance that maybe Amy just went up to see her parents. She had talked earlier that week about going and visiting her parents, so he decided to give them a call and ask if Amy was over there. However, that is when he learned that Amy was not at her parents' house either. 
Then a couple more hours pass, and now it is 11 o'clock p.m. on July 24th, and this is when Steve starts to panic. This is when he decides to call 911 and file a missing persons report for Amy. Once he filed the report, he then went back over to the Skinners and had them go drive through the National Forest that Amy would have jogged at earlier that day because there were two witnesses who claimed to have seen Amy on the trails of the National Forest in the late afternoon on July 24th. One of them claimed to see a woman that resembled Amy's description walking along the side of the road, and then there was another witness named Earl Osborne. And according to Earl, he was driving up the trail, and while he was doing that, he saw a woman that perfectly resembled Amy's description. This woman was blonde, and she had blue eyes, and she was wearing the same exact clothing that Amy was last seen wearing. Now, Earl says that he remembers this woman because he told himself that if by the time he was driving back down the trail, he still saw the woman, he was going to pull over and ask if she wanted a ride back to where she needed to go. However, Earl said that on his way back down the trail on Loop Road, he did not see this woman again. However, he did say that there was a bluish green van located right on the trail that Amy was last seen at, or that this woman who is presumed to be Amy was last seen at. So now we reach about one o'clock a.m. on July 25th, and at this point, authorities had been searching all through the night to see if they could find Amy, and while they weren't able to find Amy, at one o'clock a.m., they were able to locate Amy's white Toyota that was discovered in Burnt Gulch in Lander, Wyoming, which is also located in the National Forest, where Amy was said to have been running that day. Now, inside of her car, authorities found Amy's car keys, her sunglasses, and her to-do list for the day. The only thing that was missing from her car was her wallet, which to this day has never been discovered. And what's wild here is that after discovering Amy's car, authorities, instead of taking it in and using it for evidence or using it to try and find any DNA, authorities actually let the Skinners, the neighbors, drive the car back to Amy and Steve's house. They let them completely contaminate the car by getting inside of it, and they let them drive it back home, which is incredibly frustrating because this car is the biggest piece of evidence or the biggest piece of potential evidence, and authorities just let it slip away. During the day on July 25th, there were about 500 volunteers who came together to help in the search of Amy. Now, these volunteers did find a footprint that could have been a possible match for Amy's shoe print. However, by the time the police got there, the shoe print was already dusted away. Now, this massive search went on for about eight days, and then after eight days of searching, authorities actually called off the investigation, having made no progress in getting any closer to finding Amy. They had no evidence, they had no body, they had no real suspects, they had no idea where Amy could have possibly went. However, they still decided to call off the investigation. When someone goes missing or when someone is killed, the first thing that you do is you look at the spouse, if there is one. And in this case, that was Steve. Now, when authorities questioned Steve, he said that he had absolutely 
absolutely no involvement in Amy's disappearance, and he said that he had his alibi, which was that he went rock climbing with Sam all throughout the day on July 24th. And Sam did confirm Steve's story, and he actually went further than that to say, quote, I actually got along with Amy better than I did with Steve when we were in Australia together. I'm not going to cover for somebody who might have murdered a friend of mine. End quote. Now, after the authorities interviewed Steve, they ended up getting a warrant to search him and Amy's home. And when they did that, they did end up finding something pretty concerning for them. In the search of Amy and Steve's home, authorities found several journals belonging to Steve. And inside these journals were song lyrics and poems that included topics such as power, death, and murder against women, and some of these lyrics even were directed towards Amy. Now, obviously, this was extremely concerning for the authorities, and when they approached Steve with their findings in these journals, he chalked it up to saying that he was in a band, these were the lyrics that he wrote with his band, they had nothing to do with Amy's disappearance, and they were just song lyrics and poems, and that's really the end of it. However, Amy's brother, whose name is Nell, has his own thoughts on these journals, and according to Nell, he said, quote, when I read that stuff, I was completely freaked out. There's material here that just had to be explained. Issues about power and control in that marriage that I'd been concerned about for a long while." End quote. Now, according to Nell, just about several weeks prior to Amy's disappearance, he noticed a couple bruises on Amy's arm. Nell did confront Amy about where these bruises came from. However, this is when Amy told Nell that Steve just sometimes gets a little rough. He gets a little aggressive, but according to Nell, Amy was persistent on the fact that it wasn't anything serious and it was nothing to worry about. I also want to mention that when it comes to Amy's car, there was actually a youth camp minister who claimed that on the day of July 24th, they saw a car that resembled Steve's truck in the same exact spot that Amy's car would later be discovered at. Now, there's never been anything to confirm nor deny that that was ever true or that that ever happened. However, I did want to mention it just so you have all of the information. Now, a week and a half following Amy's disappearance, Steve did end up lawyering up and he ended up getting a lawyer named Kent Spence. And along with getting this lawyer, Steve also refused to take a polygraph test. And this becomes a very big focal point throughout the rest of the investigation. Now, according to Steve, he said that his lawyer was actually the one who advised against taking the polygraph. Because according to Kent, who is Steve's lawyer, Kent said that he believed that the authorities were just trying to pin this on Steve in any way they could and just kind of wanted to stamp it and move on. And so that's why he didn't want Steve to take the polygraph. However, according to Sergeant John Zerga, he said, quote, there's not an attorney in the West who would advise a client to take the polygraph test. That's exactly what attorneys do. The first thing they say is don't take the polygraph. To me, I can understand in a sense, but the way polygraphs are, if you really wanted to rule yourself out, you would take one, end quote. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. 
Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. Sergeant John Zerga was actually assigned Amy's cold case in 2010 and ever since then has been the lead investigator on this case. And according to him, he said, quote, Everybody that investigated this was focused on Steve, and they had good reason. But there again, there was information coming in pointing in different directions, end quote. For example, what he is referring to is a couple other theories that were thrown out there. The first being that Amy could have been hit by a motorcyclist or another driver who accidentally killed her but just freaked out and panicked and then hid her body somewhere. Another theory is that Amy was attacked by a wild animal. However, we've seen this theory in similar cases that we've covered before, and the main question in the wild animal theory is there usually would be some sort of evidence. There would be blood, there would be pieces of clothing somewhere, but again, that wasn't the case in Amy's disappearance. Now let's talk about the other theory in this case, because this is a big one. Now, according to the sergeant, there was another tip that came in from a man named Richard Eaton. Now, when Richard called the authorities, he told them that he believed that his brother, Dale Eaton, could have been involved in Amy's disappearance. Now, the reason Richard thought this was because Dale had actually been at the Burnt Gulch area camping around the time of Amy's disappearance, and Burnt Gulch is where Amy's car was discovered. Now, Dale Eaton was not your typical, just regular guy. Dale had actually murdered at least one woman prior to Amy's disappearance, and this woman is named Lisa Marie Kimmel. Dale murdered Lisa in 1988, which was about 11 years prior to Amy's disappearance. However, Dale was not charged for Lisa's murder until 2002. Authorities also said that they saw Dale just wandering around the National Park about a year and a day after Amy's disappearance. And not only that, just two months after Amy's disappearance, Dale had actually attempted to kidnap an entire family. This attempt occurred in 1997 when Shannon Breeden and her husband Scott, along with their five-month-old son Cody, were driving from Michigan to Washington State in September 1997 when their van broke down on Interstate 80. Now, the Breedens ended up spending the night in their van that night, and at about 9 o'clock a.m. the following morning, Dale had actually spotted the Breeden family on the side of the road, and that is when he decided to pull over 
and ask them if they needed help. The Breeden family ended up agreeing to Dale's offer and they packed into his van and headed towards Rock Springs. Now, according to Shannon, this is when she said, quote, I thought to myself, he looked like a serial killer, but I'm kind of a hippie mom and I told myself not to judge and think like that. End quote. Now, after a while of Dale driving towards Rock Springs, Dale said that he was getting kind of tired and he asked Shannon if she could take over and drive for a little bit. Now, Shannon said that she did think that this was a little bit of a strange request. However, she agreed and got in the driver's seat and began driving while Dale got into the back seat with Scott and Cody. Now, not too long after being in the back seat, Shannon turned around and that is when she saw Dale holding a rifle to Scott and Cody. Now, once Shannon saw this, she was actually able to swerve the car in a way where it got Dale off of Scott and he was actually able to jump out of the car with Cody and luckily they were both unharmed. Now, when it came to Shannon, Dale did try to go after Shannon. However, Scott was then able to come back around and basically beat Dale so badly that he ended up surrendering and the three of them, Shannon, Scott, and Cody, all went off on their own. So Dale has a very serious criminal record. He has been involved in at least one murder and one attempted murder, one attempted triple homicide. So you would think that because Dale was camping in the area that Amy last went missing from, you would think that that would be enough for authorities to want to look into Dale more. However, they did not think that this was important enough to go through with because they were so dead set on Steve the entire time. Now, when it comes to Amy's family, they do believe that it is very, very possible that Steve was involved in Amy's disappearance. Amy's father, Dwayne, has said, quote, I feel angry because if he's not guilty of anything, the son of a bitch should take the lie detector test and give us some peace, end quote. Nell, Amy's brother, has also said, quote, the one person who can help the most in possibly resolving what happened to Amy is the guy who, for whatever reason, cowardice or selfishness, I don't know, refuses to engage, end quote. Now, four years after Amy's disappearance, Steve did start dating again, and he ultimately ended up meeting a woman named Ellen, who he ended up marrying in 2004. And 2004 was also the year that Steve officially declared Amy legally dead. And as far as we know it, Steve is still living in Wyoming to this day with his wife and two children, and he has a life that he loves there. I think it is important to note that Steve was heavily involved in the search for Amy. It's not like cases that we've seen previously where the husband really just sits there and he doesn't do anything. Steve was very active in the search for Amy. He set up a searching station from his garage after the investigation stopped. A direct quote from him is, quote, after the initial search shut down, we started realizing we weren't just looking out in the woods for her. So we moved to a nationwide search the best that we could, 
end quote. Steve also said in the year 2002, when Dale was convicted of murdering Lisa Kimmel, him and his father ended up going to the sheriff's department to ask the sheriff if any of Amy's belongings were found in Dale's home when they searched it. Because after they arrested Dale for the murder of Lisa, they did end up searching his home. So that is when Steve and his father ended up going to the sheriff and asking if they could see if any of Amy's belongings were at Dale's home. But the sheriff refused to allow Steve to do this and said that they had already gone through all of it and that there was nothing of Amy's there for them to look for. Now, in terms of just Amy's disappearance in general, a direct quote from Steve is, quote, I got home from climbing. It's just a normal day. Get unpacked, feed the dog or whatever. Then I start wondering, where is she? Make some calls, drive around a little bit. It gets to be like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. That incredible anxiety builds up. You're just worried. I hope she didn't break her ankle. I hope she didn't run out of gas. Those normal things where you're like, this sucks. You're not going, I hope my wife wasn't grabbed by some psychopathic serial killer end quote. Steve also went on to say, quote, my fondest hope is that Amy left me. I'd love nothing more than to find out that my wife ran off with someone else. The next best thing is that if she were being held captive, because if an abductor doesn't kill his victim right away, he tends to develop a relationship with her. The more time that goes by, the better he gets to know her, the less likely he is to kill her, end quote. So that is the case of Amy Rowe Betchel. That is what we know. To this day, it remains unsolved. As of right now, Amy has been missing for 23 years, five months, and 26 days. The two main persons of interest in this case are Dale Eaton and Steve, which is now when I turn to you and ask you the question, what do you think happened to Amy? Who do you think was responsible for this? Do you think it was Dale? Do you think it was Steve? Do you think she got hit by a car? Do you think it was a wild animal? Personally, in my personal opinion, I know that we tend to look at the husband or the wife or the person that's closest to the victim. However, in this circumstance, this is a very, very unique circumstance that a known murderer, a convicted murderer, was seen around the area that the victim went missing at the time of their disappearance. We rarely ever see that. So the fact that a convicted murderer was at the place where Amy was seen jogging that day, you would think that because of that, Dale Eaton would be looked into more. However, he really wasn't. It was really just Steve from the get-go. We have seen cases where it looks like authorities are just kind of pinning someone from the get-go and then they just run with it no matter what. And that does kind of look like what happened here. In my personal opinion, I think that there's a lot more evidence that could point to the fact that Dale was responsible for this than it could be that Steve was. However, Dale has never confessed to having any involvement in Amy's disappearance at all. So maybe it wasn't Dale, maybe it was someone else, but let me know what you guys think. All right, you guys, that is the end of this case. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not gonna wanna miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember... I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. 
bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.